Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord, and we are, it is such a privilege to be here, to be able to lift up your name, to celebrate you, and gather as your people in your presence. Not only, we, only, we do not only acknowledge your presence, but we also recognize the authority that you have in our lives. And... Uh, your authority, and the authority of your word. As we approach your word, Lord, we humble ourselves. We open our hearts in all humility. We ask you that you will penetrate our hearts with the outpouring of your Holy Spirit so that we can grasp and understand the truth that is contained, this truth that is so massive, so big, that our mind cannot contain it. But somehow we believe that it is the spirit of truth that will lead us into all truth your word, and thus our, our, our lives will be transformed. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Can you feel the presence of God? I mean, I, I can. It's our prayer, like, whoa. Let's all go to uh, Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 1. I would like to read from uh, verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Everybody say fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations But now it's disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is the punchline of of the passage. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present Everyone fully mature. Everybody say fully mature in Christ. And listen to this, verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Woo! <laughs> it's a mouthful of a passage. All right, I... Uh, Four weeks ago, I want to pick up on what I preached four weeks ago. I talked about the, uh, the trilogy or the tripod of the essence of, Christian, of Christianity, which is faith, hope, and love. Where uh, in, the, in the beginning of, of, of chapter one, when Paul talked about the, the love they have for one another and faith in Christ Jesus, faith and love that is that springs out of hope, the eternal hope. So my message this morning, if you like titles, my title this morning is Emmanuel, Our Eternal Hope. Emmanuel, Our Eternal Hope. So Paul talked about the three things. Faith in Christ Jesus, it is where the journey begins for all of us. And uh, and I 
and I uh, pointed out that often when we talk about faith, we, we always talk about the, the measure, you know, like how, how strong our faith is. But in, uh, in Paul's uh, picture concerning Jesus, because, you know, the book of Colossians, the theologians sum it up this way, this, this way. They said, if you want to know what Paul really thinks about Jesus, you read Colossians. If you really want to know what Paul thinks about the church of Jesus Christ, you need to read the book of Ephesians. <laughs> and if, you're, if you really want to know what Paul really liked as a human being, read 2 Corinthians. You get to really know Paul. So, uh, the, 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 the way they use the term is, Colossians is probably the most dense Christological book in the whole of the New Testament. I mean, that's what the theologians say. It doesn't mean it is completely, absolutely true, but you know, there's certain truth in that. So, uh, so he talked about faith, and he described uh, faith towards Jesus and the description of, of this Jesus in from verse 15 to verse 20. Amazing. You need to read that again. Amazing description of who this Jesus is from creation to new creation, who this Jesus really is. What he's trying to say is this, is to address the issue of our faith, is that it is not about the size of your faith that is, that is really important. It's the object of your faith. Right? Sometimes we think, I've got to have this massive faith in God to get somewhere, to get anywhere. No, actually, it, that, it doesn't work like that. But he describes the kind of faith that we need to have and describes Jesus, I understand. No, no, it's not about the size of my faith or the measure of my faith. It's, it is the object of where my faith goes to. It's Jesus. That's why Jesus said, all I, have, all I need is to just a little bit of faith, as small as mustard seed, in God. So that sort of, that will sort of sort some people when they're in their walk of faith so they're not going to put their faith in their faith but faith in Jesus. And then he talked about faith, hope and how does faith and hope works? You know, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 he said faith is the substance or the guarantee of things hoped for. The way that I, that I, uh, that I preached this a long time ago and that, the way she, she described it, I thought that was the best description. That said, hope is the blueprint of your faith. That's great. I love that. It's the blueprint of our faith. And uh, so often, so the, the two works hand in hand. So faith is the guarantee, but you need to have a hope. And often I say to people, even though you feel like you're weak in your faith, don't let go of your hope. Because when you have hope, you can apply your faith to it. Why, how does faith and love work? The Bible says faith works by love. And in the, in the opening chapter, chapter 1, Paul talked about this faith that is stored up in heaven for us, for the believers. And he, he talked about but who Jesus is and talk about what we are, we are being, being, being redeemed, being, he has qualified us. 
And then he encouraged the believers, the readers, to continue in the faith, to get to that hope. And he said, if you continue, that hope is stored up for you. But he said, you need to continue in the faith. Well, if faith is the guarantee, if hope, uh, faith is the guarantee of what we hope for, then I think it makes sense for us to continue in it. Okay, let's go back to the passage that we read before from chapter, uh, verse 24. But I would like to read it for, from verse 22, all right? Just to read it in context. Verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled in his body of, of the flesh by his death, you know, all of us, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, in which has been proclaimed in all creation of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then he moved to verse 24. Now, he said, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. That is a difficult one to, what do you mean? I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's affliction? Is there anything lacking in, in Christ's suffering? No. <laughs> so what he's saying is this. The lacking is in my flesh, not in Christ's affliction. Okay? So if I can use a met metaphor, it's like someone like you, for example, you go to the doctor and the doctor said, we've done a blood test. There's lot lack of, so, uh, uh, lots of, what, what's, uh, uh, iron, yeah. L lack of iron in your blood. So you need more iron in your blood to make you healthier. So what Paul is saying is like, in my flesh, there's something lacking. What is that? The suffering of Christ. Did you get that? That's what he's saying. I need more of the suffering of Christ. And he said, I need more for the sake of, of his body, of the church. This church, I have become a servant. So here's the thing. From verse 22 to 24, uh, to 25, Paul is, Paul is presenting to us that he is a servant on two fronts. In verse 23, he said, I'm a servant of the gospel. Verse 23. And in verse 25, he said, I'm a servant of the church. Not only he is a servant of God, but so really three fronts. So a servant of God, servant of the church, and a servant of the gospel. And what he's saying is this. This entrustment from God has not come without a cost. It cost me my life. I suffer for it. But if, as you read the, the beginning of, of uh, verse 24, he said, but I rejoice in this. In other words, I'm excited about this stuff. Really, Paul? Why? 
And in verse 25 and 26, point number one, because he said this, because I have been entrusted to make the word of God fully known. That's what has been entrusted to me. And also, point number two, he said, the kind of words that has been entrusted to me in verse 26. He said, it is a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generation, but now revealed, I'm the, I'm the one God has entrusted that to, to me. Now, it cost me my life, but I'm excited about it. Why? If you read the history of Paul, I can just imagine Paul would say this. Why am I excited about this in the midst of this suffering, and yet there is an entrustment of revealing the word of God, the mystery that hidden for any ages and generations? Because as a highly trained Pharisee, I and my contemporaries have been highly trained in this stuff. We search for years. We are trained, highly trained. Some of us can recite the whole book of Jeremiah. It's true. But just the thought that among all my colleagues, I'm the only one that's been revealed and been entrusted to declare it. I think it's a reason for me to rejoice in my suffering. As a matter of fact, I need more of it. What he's saying is this in that verse 24. I need more of the suffering of Jesus because as I experience that, that makes me more effective in my declaration. That's crazy. Really, Paul? <laughs> the more I have and experiencing and, and taking part and participate in the suffering of Jesus, the more effective I am as a declarer of this truth that's been entrusted to me. And because of that, I rejoice. What kind of word Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now I can imagine Paul receiving this revelation, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He learned, it's like this, you know, obviously it's Emmanuel, Christ with us, Christ in us. I can imagine Paul said, me and my colleagues, we've learned from creation to Exodus to, you know, from, from creation to salvation in Exodus all the way to the prophets, to David, the Solomon and the temple. God, there's a desire in God to be with his people. From creation, you know, I, I think I've shared this before. Just think, when God created the stars, he spoke to the, the environment of the stars. He spoke to the heavens. But he wanted to create the fish and everything, creatures in the water. The Bible says he spoke, to, let, the, let the water. And then when he wanted to create all the beasts and the, and the trees in the, on earth, he spoke to the environment of those things. He said, let the earth. Now, here's the thing. When he created mankind, he said, let us. What does that imply? The fish environment is the water. God spoke to the water. 
the stars environment is the sky. God spoke, let the, let the heavens be filled. Let the water enter. He said, let us. What, it, what it's saying is that we are your environment. God is mankind's environment. The minute we move out of the presence of God, we are like fish out of water. We are in our unnatural environment. So Paul understands this. In Exodus, often people say, you know, it's, it's all about the law. It's all legalism. There's no grace in the Old Testament. No, no, actually there is grace in the Old Testament. Because if you read when Moses confronted Pharaoh, his language to Pharaoh, see, this is what God said, let my people go so they can celebrate with me in the wilderness. Why? Because God wanted to meet with, the, with his people. God wanted to be with his people. When you think about that, it's a, it's, it's a religion. You know, our religion is the religion that is so unique. We're not trying to reach out to God, but God actually wants to be with us. What kind of religion is that? So in Exodus, that's why they have all, they have all these laws, you know, you, know, what, you know, all kinds of laws. Why? Because it's just to facilitate under that, that dispensation to facilitate that fellowship between God and mankind. And of course, God had a house built by David and Solomon because God wants to be with his people. So Paul, I can imagine being, being equipped with this kind of knowledge in that situation, in, in the life of Israel, they pride themselves as God being among us. That's, what they, that's, what they, that's their pride, God being among us. So Paul received this revelation. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That was then. It was God with them. But now it's God in us. It's not just God with us, in, among us, but actually, he actually lives in the inside of us. He said, this is something new I've never seen before. Neither some of my contemporaries. And so he thought, wow. This is crazy. So you understand that Emmanuel is not just a New Testament truth. A fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. It's a truth that began from the time of creation. God living in us, the creator of the universe decides to make a home in our hearts. Paul said, that is exciting. I'm going to have to declare it. And I've been entrusted for this. And for me to be effective, I need to partner and participate in the suffering of Christ. What does that really mean to us, Christ in us? I'm, as an accountant, what's that to me, doing everyday job? You know, the Old Testament narratives put such an emphasis in God being with his people, even individually. If you, if you read the story of Joseph, 
How many have read the story of Joseph? All right. He had this dream, right? <laughs> he told his brothers it did, that didn't go well. And then uh, things took place in his life where it would, it would cause him to think, you know, really, what kind of dream was that? He was thrown into the pit, and then he was, by the caravan, he was sold as, as a slave in, in, in Egypt. I can imagine Joseph would say to God, God, you gave me the dream, but you didn't tell me about the pit. You didn't tell me about the desert. It's like, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's not what God says, it's what God doesn't say. It's like, <laughs> you have to, yeah. But here's the thing. Twice in uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 and 23, Joseph went to the dungeon. Now he went to the dungeon, you know, like jail in dungeon. What was the comment of the writer there? But God was with him. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was in Potiphar's uh, 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 house. He was successful. And the writer pointed out, he said, because God was with him. Doesn't matter where you are. The question is not where you are or where you are at, but who are you with? Here's another example. Moses, right? The Bible says that he, this, this guy is highly trained in all the Egyptian skills. So I believe as a prepared prince, you know, in, the, in, the, in that family, royal family, he was trained in all the royal family skills. That means leadership, everything. And uh, speech. In speech, knowledge, everything. But when God came to him, he was for 40 years in the, in the wilderness and uh, away from Egypt. He ran away and then God came to him. God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh <laughs> And tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know what he said? But God, I'm slow of speech. In other words, he was for 40 years, just him and the sheep and probably three people. It's brought, it has brought him down to just a nobody. And now he lost all confidence. So now God, with, there was nothing that he had to offer. God came to him and said, okay, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. You got to understand, reading from the story, we kind of like, oh, that's simple. You mean, I can imagine Moses said, God, hang on. You want me to go to the leader of the superpower of this land and then tell them to let the slaves go because you told us to? And the message from you? I'm slow to speak. I'm not eloquent in my, in my, in my communication. What am I going to do? I don't know leadership skill. I've lost all of that. I've been here for 40 years. I've got nothing to offer. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, 11, 12, 13. I can imagine he was presenting this and he was hesitant. You read it. 
Well, who, and, and his word was, who am I to go to Pharaoh? It's like, say to Tony, Tony, go to Donald Trump. <laughs> you, know, you know how sort of obnoxious the guy is. This is what God told me. Let my people go. You know, like, seriously, God? So he said, God, who am I to go to this guy? And you know what God said? You know what God said? Read it. Verse 11, Exodus 3, verse 11 and 12. He said, I'll be with you. <laughs> I can imagine Moses, hang on, God. Aren't you just a bit flippant here? <laughs> I'm going to Pharaoh. I ran away from him. Okay, some of them died. Many, all of them died. But, you know, these are superpower. It's like, I've got no skill. I've got nothing to offer. And you, all you offer is, you'll be with me. Is that it? And God said, that's it. We sometimes underestimate what we have in the inside of us. Now, I'm not saying life is going to be easy. Far be it, far from it. But what, does, what did David say? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. Now, here's the thing. Okay? Just look at the story of Moses. He went there, said to Pharaoh, let my people, this is what God said, let my people go. The result of that, what happened? Pharaoh doubled the burden of Israel. Now, can you imagine everybody reacting and Moses said, you know, did I really hear God then? God, did you, I mean, are you really serious about this? Like, you know, look at this. God didn't pull, pull, push the panic button and say, oh, yeah, okay, let me, let, me, let me react and let me just whatever. Okay, from God's point of view and from our point of view, because we know the whole story, just think. The Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? Why would God do that? He hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why? This is my interpretation. I believe because God wants to prove that the people of God, the people of Israel were liberated not because of the kindness of Pharaoh, but in the midst of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, I have the power to override all that and they go. God wanted to prove that. You know why? Because when you read in the, in the, before the wall of Jericho came down, what did Rahab say? Yeah, we've got the wall here, but people inside, their, their, their hearts are melted now. Why? Because we heard what your God did to Pharaoh. If it was just that easy, it wouldn't be that powerful. But in the midst of this hardness of heart, stubbornness of Pharaoh, God said, you're going to be safe, not because he's been kind, but because in the midst of his stubbornness, I, have, I am more powerful than him. I can set you free. That's why the people of Jericho are like, what kind of a God is this that can set people free in the midst of the hardness of the leader of the superpower? Wouldn't let them go. They were scared. 
And sometimes we go through life, we want the easy way. But we, because we tend to interpret the whole story from a snapshot. I mean, that's what we do, right? Because of this, because of this, though, this is my whole, life, my whole life story. It doesn't work like that. You cannot interpret a whole picture just from looking at a snapshot. Sometimes you don't understand. Listen, I, I've been in church life. I, I've suffered under lead, even church leadership's mistakes. Not just me, my wife had a mini nervous breakdown. I'm in it. My kids suffered. We just keep on walking with God. What's so good about, about not just Christ among us, but Christ in us? What's so good about that? Because the Christ in us can live out the life of God that is required from us. Let him live it out of us. For that to happen, we need to yield to it. It's just that simple. That's why I've said, I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. We have a lot of Christians who are spirit-filled, but they're not spirit-led. That is the problem. That is the problem. So here's what Paul said. Just, just think... Well, this is what the, Paul takes it. He takes it further. He said in Ephesians three twenty, this whole idea of Christ in us. Ephesians three twenty, where it says, "Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what the power." That is at work out there somewhere? Come on. Where? Come on, come on. Nice and loud. I want to hear you. In us. Everybody say, in us. Okay. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can think or imagine. How is he going to do that? According to the power that works where? It's right in there. Come on, guys. It's right there. That's why as Christians, we listen. Somebody once said to me, you know what, Brian, what's so hard about, about Christianity in Australia is if God never turns up, we get by because we've got a good system. <laughs> But in some countries, if God doesn't turn up, they're dead. The Christians are dead. They get killed. What, what, what is done to us is we, we trust the system, governmental system. We trust whatever. It's like if only this, if only that. No, no, no. If only this. Come on, guys. If only something happened here. Doesn't matter what happened out there. We, we read about Moses. We read about Joseph. 
Doesn't matter ha what happened out there. Now, listen, I, I, I want to be, be careful in what I say, but some pastors, like you know, when Scott Morrison uh, was elected as, as a prime minister, like, wow, you know, it's going to be great. And I said, you know what? My prayer for Scott Morrison is like, God, I pray this. God, let him be an accurate representation of who Jesus really is. Let him be a true ambassador for Jesus. It's like, being a Christian nation is not going to fix me. It's not. Having Jesus in me is going to fix me. So that's what Paul said. He is the one we proclaim. <laughs> we have to proclaim him. But beyond proclamation, we have to admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom. Every, I want to say this, every cell leader in the church, I want to encourage you. I've said this probably a few months before. I want, you, want to encourage you to memorize this scripture in your heart as you lead the people with a leading music team. This is what we are, Memo Life, is all about. These two verses. This is what we are all about. Anything could happen, but this is this it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, but we are not going to stop with just proclamation. But we are going to admonish and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And I like that this Paul, and then Paul takes it very personally. He said, to this end, I strenuously contend. Come on, guys, as leaders in member life, let's contend for this. Contend for what? To this end, the maturity of the believers. We're going to contend for that. Not with our own strength. Not with our own wisdom, but it says, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. Let's all stand up. Can I have the measles, please? Let's contend. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hula par. Jesus made it so easy. Made it so easy. Even with the presence of God, strong presence of God in Exodus, Israel still rebelled. They're going up and down and up and down and up and down. So God decided, you know what? Rather than them coming to my presence, I'm going to live in them. <laughs> so they can live the way I wanted to live. Why don't you all lift your hands? I'm going to pray. Pronounce blessing all. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, wherever your people are here in this seats, Lord, I pray that the truth of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit will heal us hard, Lord. We know what it means to have you in our hearts. 
even those who might not know you, maybe they've been to church but don't really know you, Lord. Let the person of the truth speak to them, Lord. Let Jesus speak to them, Lord. Of who you really are and that you want to live in their hearts. With every hand lifted up here, Lord, I pray for not pouring your own blessing. As we leave these people, we are people marked by your favor, Lord Jesus. Something will happen, Lord, in, in the lives of your people that it will flow out of their lives. Even this week, Lord, they will touch many people around them beginning with family members, with their wives, with their husbands, their parents, their children, and then their neighbors. At work, Lord Jesus, business clients, business partners, the bosses, with colleagues, at school, everywhere, Lord Jesus. Like the salt of the earth, we will flavor the lives of many people with your blessing. I prophesy this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. God is good, eh? Give him a hand. Come on. He's so good. He's so good. So please hang around for a cup of coffee and something to eat. And never love us. Please look around people that are new and just spend time with them and catch up with them, talk to them. God bless you.